Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue our study of Acts with chapter 7, verses 1 through 16. This portion of Acts is a narrative of the trial of Stephen in a Jewish kangaroo court and the testimony of his phenomenal defense in which he takes his accusers on a trip down memory lane that begins with the book of Genesis. Please listen to Pastor Harris as he faithfully delivers today's portion of this week's message entitled, Best Last Words Ever. Acts chapter 7 is our venue for this morning. We're going to begin the chapter anyway. You know, we pay special attention to the last words that someone speaks, and rightly so. Uh, When a person knows that death is on the, the doorstep, trivial things get ignored. And what matters most is what tends to come out of a person's mind at that moment. What and who the person loves gets their primary attention. Often a person's final words express forgiveness for wrongs done to them and or uh, asking for forgiveness and seeking reconciliation of damaged relationships. For a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, last words often include a plea to family and friends to turn to Christ for eternal life. That formal document, a person's last will and testament, says what is most important to them, and we consider that so important, it's legally binding. You have to do what that document says. Now, we're not going to be reading a legal document from the apostolic associate named Stephen. He was one of, also one of the first deacons. But we're going to see his spectacularly crafted last words. And I submit to you, Acts chapter 7 is arguably the best last words ever. I don't think anybody's ever going to top this. Now, this chapter is 60 verses long, and it, it contains nothing less than a summary of the Old Testament. Just tumbled out over his lips on the last day he was on earth. It's taking all the restraint that I can muster as I keep looking at this chapter to to resist the temptation to take you to every passage that Stephen alluded to in this unprecedented, spontaneous address on the final day of his earthly life. But resist I will, because we want to finish Acts before Jesus comes. But I don't want to minimize one I don't want to minimize the fact that this all came out in one spontaneous statement of the work of God leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's meant to be studied as a unit. We're not going to do the whole chapter today, though. I was curious just, you know, what that might take. I was remembering the year at the Shepherds Conference that uh, Pastor Mark Dever was assigned to preach on uh, 
uh, Psalm 119, and he read the entire text before he began preaching. It's only 176 verses. I'm not going to do that to you, and this is only 60 verses. I read it out loud to myself this week and found out it took me 7 minutes and 45 seconds just to read through it, let alone preach on it. It's, it's 1,457 words in the New American Standard Bible. Now, even resisting all those endless side trips, we're going to take a couple of three bites to get through this, and we need to uh, spend the time appropriately to get the most from it. So for today, we're going to just ask, who is Stephen? Why is he on trial? And then we'll look at the beginning of chapter 7. The answers begin in Genesis. Now, I want you to keep this in perspective. Um, Stephen was used by God in a unique way at a unique time. You are never going to be able to do what Stephen did. You can't, as he did, perform great wonders and signs. You can't get arrested by the Sanhedrin. We don't have one around here. And and it's quite unlikely that you're going to be facing death by stoning at the hands of a bunch of zealous, self-righteous, religious hypocrites. But that said, understand why this is recorded in the Bible. Uh, Beyond the role of Stephen in the development of the early church that I'll comment on a little bit today and more next time, this is here for you. As we begin to look at this long chapter, don't forget the famous words of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So as we look at Stephen's words, make sure you receive this with an attitude that this is profitable. It's useful for you. It should help you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get to the end of this chapter, I don't want you to just be saying, wow, Stephen was amazing. You're right, he was. But I want us to be asking ourselves, what can I learn from this? This is here for your teaching. God provided it for us so that we might know the kinds of things that we should learn in order to be as useful to Him as possible and to speak as accurately as possible for Him. Stephen is a tremendous example to learn from. And this is also here for your reproof. Uh, I make no apology. I urge you to be humbled by seeing what Stephen knew by heart. And I urge you to be motivated to whittle away at steadily becoming more like him. This is also here for your correction. As you see what poured out of Stephen's mouth as he faced martyrdom that very day, let it provoke you to new and better patterns in your own life. See, this is here for your training in righteousness. My friends, There is no excuse, no excuse for any of us to know less than Stephen knew about God's Word. He didn't have his own copy of it. 
to study God's Word, he had to go to a, a synagogue or to the temple where the scrolls were. Like, only you can only study this in the library. He had to learn it at his own sacrifice. He did not have it on his iPhone. He, he, he didn't have it ever before him. But he took the time to know it. And all his study, all of his memorization paid off, not only on the day of his death, but now it's in God's Word for every generation of believers since then to profit from it. You put all that together and understand this is here to play a part in our lives to make us equipped for every good work. All right, the star of this chapter is Stephen. Who is Stephen? Well, he first appears in the previous chapter, chapter 6, verse 5, where he's first named on the list of the seven men that were chosen as what we believe were the first deacons of the first church anywhere in the world. Now, what else do we know about him? Background-wise, um, we have no record of him other than this appearance in the book of Acts. But just from what's said in Acts 6 and Acts 7, we can put together Stephen's resume. We know a number of things about him. We know that Stephen had a good reputation. When the apostles asked the congregation, you select some people who can help us with this ministry to, to widows, his name immediately bubbled up. That's an indication of his reputation. And as we noted last week, elders and deacons are uh, required not only to have a solid testimony of faith in Christ, but 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7 says, and an elder or deacon must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So we know this guy, had a, he had a good reputation in, among the believers and others as well. Further, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, Stephen is described as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. That means that Stephen's actions were under the control of the Holy Spirit. And he hadn't even read Galatians chapter 5, which describes the, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It just oozed through him. And he consistently put his faith into practice. He acted on the basis of what he believed. Three verses later, chapter 6, verse 8, He's described as Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Two more factors that controlled how Stephen lived and spoke are grace and power. He understood he had no power, but he knew the God who was the creator of the universe. He, he, he acted on the basis of God's power, but, but also grace. People who have received the grace of God become conduits of grace. They become gracious people. I always say too, people who are forgiven become forgiving people. You begin to mimic that which is of God in you and what, what controls you. Now add to that the fact that not only was Stephen recognized by fellow believers in his congregation based upon his, his reputation, he was also approved by the apostles. When you're in the first church of anywhere, you can't get any higher accreditation than, than that. And uh, that's a pattern to follow. 
you should be serving in a way in harmony with the rest of the believers in the church that, that, that you uh, understand you have the approval of your elders. That's the right way for us to work together. If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.